0: Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. All right, if you got a Bible, let's open up to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, while you turn there, I'll pray for us. Father, I pray that you would hear our prayers right now. I pray that you would fill us full of the Holy Spirit. Lord, me to speak, all of us to listen, and that you would be clarifying things. You'd be giving us the wisdom that we need to be the most effective campus ministers for your glory uh, that we can be. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, So, then he asked me to speak about the idea of kind of uh, priorities. For campus ministry so i'm going to center cut what i'm aiming at is a campus staff guy or staff girl in the united states and more specifically campus outreach memphis but i think a lot of what i'm going to say would apply even to campus director area director regional director resource director uh you know and even in different ministries there are a lot of things just like him was saying that we can easily be distracted by and so in some sense what i'm trying to do is give you here's what you need to focus on to stay center cut and not get distracted. Probably most of us, especially in Seal Memphis, have heard the old glory day stories of when Brian Lewis first started ministry at Montevallo and lived out of his Jeep and stuff. And one of the things that's so glorious about that, like I don't want to live out of my Jeep, I don't own a Jeep, and if I did, I certainly wouldn't want to sleep in it. Uh, but it's hard to be distracted when it's in the 80s and you're sleeping in your Jeep, right? It's like I got my suitcase with my clothes, I got my Bible, I don't have Netflix. I don't have a cell phone. I live in Montevallo, the middle of nowhere, in my Jeep by the lake, and I share my faith. It's like you don't get distracted, right? You spend time with God, you eat food, go to the bathroom, take showers, and meet with students. It's easy. That's not the world we're living in, right? Things are much more complicated. It's so easy to get distracted. So one of my life principles has been KISS, the acronym, Keep It Simple Stupid. Maybe you're really smart, but compared to God, we're all stupid. And so the more simple we can keep life and make life, life will go better for you. And so that's what I'm trying to do in this talk is keep it simple, stupid. And if that's offensive to you, keep it simple, saints. That's the way Pastor Reader used to say it. So. First is just going to be the primary responsibilities. And if you're asking, and if you keep looking at the PowerPoint, like nothing is coming up, because I, I didn't put anything on there, so maybe <laughs> Carrie <laughs> intuited what I wanted to be on there, and it's about to come, but I, you know, there's going to be nothing there except my name. Um, primary responsibilities. There is something. And that's not me, so I don't know who put that up there. Uh, so that's somebody else. Uh, primary responsibilities. And here's the way you say, well, how do you decide? How do you decide what's primary? Well... If you don't do these six things faithfully, you will either get fired or you will fail at your ministry. That's how I define primary. It's like they're pretty important. You better do them or you're either going to be a failure or you're going to get fired. Okay? I mean, I would fire you if you worked for me and you didn't do these things. I can't speak for Denny. But, um, so the first thing would be walk with God. Now, I started to say, you know, but every Christian is supposed to walk with God. Yes, but there's a sense in which you get paid to walk with God. There's a sense in which I say to staff, you know, every time I get to do a staff training and this topic comes up, I'm like, yes, you ought to be, in a sense, spending time with the Lord, walking with Jesus just because you love Him and not because you're a campus minister, but we do have this advantage in our job. If you're having the worst day of your life and you overslept and you're feeling sick and it's really busy and you're like, I haven't spent time with God today, you have my permission. Again, anything I say, you know, that I don't quote a verse with, you have to... You know, Denny can trump me later. But you'd have my permission, if if you were working for me, to say, cancel one of your appointments to go spend time with the Lord. Read the Bible and pray. Now, if six days in a row you're like, yeah, I overslept again, so I canceled on my D group so I could spend time with the Lord. It's like, well, we're going to have to fire you for another reason, okay? I mean, glad you're having time with the Lord. Uh, Again, I wouldn't fire somebody after just six days. But the point is, don't abuse this. But you've got to, yeah, seven days. And then you're going. You've you got to be spending time with the Lord. You've got to be walking with Jesus. So let's look at Luke chapter 10. If you've ever heard me teach, you've probably heard me teach on this passage because I love it so much. Why? Because it keeps things simple. We'll start in verse 39. Matthew, I mean, excuse me, Luke 10, 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. So Martha was ministering, but she was distracted from her priorities, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve alone? Just as a little side note, guys, when you get kind of distracted like a chicken with its head cut off running around trying to do a bunch of ministry and you're not walking with the Lord, you will feel like you're all alone. You will feel like you're alone in the battle and it's all on you and it's a crushing burden you don't want to bear. Because in some sense you are alone. The Lord's not with you blessing you in that. Tell her then to help me. Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you were anxious and troubled about many things. You ever felt like that as a camp salary staff person? But one thing is necessary. You see the simplicity? One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. So, welcome the Lord, the one thing necessary, the most important, is listening to God's word, intaking his word. And that's corporate worship going to corporate worship, hearing somebody gifted teach to you. And if you're like, but I live in the podunk town and all the churches are terrible and still be a member of a local church, okay. but then listen to good podcasts. Get fed somewhere. You need other people teaching you the Word of God. But this is also personal time along with the Word. <coughs> Reading, memorizing, meditating, journaling. Intake the Word of God. But then secondly, you've got to talk to God. You've got to respond and just look exactly what comes next. And this is intentional. Luke 11, 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So just like I said, your intake of the word should be in a corporate setting and also in a personal setting. Your talking back to God should be in a corporate setting. There should be corporate prayer times in your life, but it should also be personal. Jesus was praying all by himself. But then when they said, teach us to pray, notice that he teaches them about corporate prayer, right? It's give us, us, it's plural, give us each day our daily bread. So, uh, worship in your personal prayer life. There's worship, Lord. Honor yourself. In your personal prayer life, there's kingdom expansion. Thy kingdom come. Right? Matthew 9. Jesus taught on prayer a lot. A lot of principles like this. A lot of parables. There's only two places where Jesus told us like something super specific to pray and one of them is in Matthew 9 when he says pray for labors pray for labors to be raised up and going to the harvest okay? um, your daily needs most basic stuff like food, money, support whatever it is pray about forgiveness, he's a relational God, we're a relational being, that ought to be a big part of our prayer life, I'm sorry I sinned against you yesterday, please forgive me Pray about your horizontal relationships. Help me be a merciful, forgiving person to all the people that get on my nerves, on my staff team and students and all that kind of stuff. And then pray for protection. I'm going out into the battle today. Lord, lead me not into temptation. This is good for a hundred reasons, but maybe specifically, we're talking about ministers here, so that you can really lead from overflow. right? I mean, I had a discipleship group last week, and we're talking about, we've been learning part of what I would say is here was the verse that stood out to me the most and it wasn't because I did the D group book that we're doing right because I already did this D group book that we're doing like two years ago but it was just like let me just tell you what's happening in my personal time along with the Lord because I'm still meeting with God on a daily basis and then when there's times when I get convicted if I'm like I'm not sharing my faith enough if I go to my disciples like hey you know what I hadn't been sharing my faith enough I want to set kind of a more stretching goal this semester they probably need something like that too well, if I hadn't been memorizing Scripture enough and I get convicted, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to commit to memorize this passage. That'll, you just lead out of overflow. Lead yourself well spiritually, and leading other people will come fairly natural. I'm not saying it always works that way, but it sure helps. So that's all your first priority. The second one would be report to slash follow your supervisor. Everybody has a supervisor. For Denny, it might be the board. For the rest of you, it's probably just one campus outreach person. Follow them. Report to them. Everybody flip to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17, verse I think most of us will be familiar with. Very end of the book. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now listen, if you're like, I'm a brand new staff person and i got a brand new young campus director and He's not really the boss of me spiritually. He's not my elder. He's not keeping watch. It's like, guys, get the principle. Here's the principle I'm after. Look at the second half of the verse, that second sentence. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Whoever's leading you in your life, and this applies broadly, the elders at your church, if you're a wife, your husband, okay? if you're a citizen of America, the government, or if you're a campus outreach staff person, Your campus director, your area director, however you want to apply this, there's just a principle. If you make it hard for your leader to lead you, that's not good. Now, what about abusive leaders and all that? That, That's another talk for another day. We're just talking about normal life. Being led by another sinner, right? Because nobody's got Jesus as their campus director. So don't have the standard, well, if he'll be perfect, then I'll follow him. If you make it hard for your leader to lead you, in the long run, that's going to be bad for you. You know why? Because just, just play it out. Put yourself in the position of the leader for just a second. If I've got one, I mean, I just had this conversation with somebody just the other day, and this was just about a bunch of female volunteers at a church. They're just working together. And there's like one lady that's very opinionated. So every time they get together, she's always criticizing the people's opinion. Well, guess what the volunteers just started doing? They just quit inviting her to the meeting because she's always negative. That's just common sense. So if you're always a negative person to lead, the leader really only has about one or two options. They can come down harder on you and more harsh and more aggressive, right? Like I'm sick of you and I'm about to put you in your place. That won't be fun for anybody. You're going to put them in sin and you're probably going to go deeper into sin in your response. Or, you know what most people are going to do? If you're hard to lead, they're just going to leave you alone. Fine. You know everything all by yourself? Knock it out, bro. And listen, that might be really fun in the short run. This is what I've been wanting, my independence. (laughs) It's not going to go good in the long run. So, listen... I know that our culture in general right now, and a lot of this is seeped into the church, is very anti-authority and very suspicious of authority. And when there are abusive leaders and there are such things, that's a good thing to be, suspicious of authority, right? We don't need to be blindly loyal. I'm against that. But i just say this. The Bible is a big believer in authority. Read it anywhere. Just like, you know, do the flipping the pages and just land and start reading. And when you come across authority, see if it doesn't have something positive to say about it. So are we going to be more influenced by the Bible or by culture? Submit yourself to the governing authorities. Okay? Submit yourself to your leader in campus outreach. And you now listen, you're like, what exactly do you mean? I mean like this. Let's just say that your area director is like, I want you to send me a written email report every Friday by 5 o'clock. And you're like, but I don't like email. I didn't grow up on email. I'm more of a text person. I just like phone calls. Can't it be relational? At some level, it's like, man, get over yourself. Send in the freaking weekly report. It's not that hard. You don't have to write a novel. And listen, I, Denny didn't tell me to say this part, right? So this is, this is the Holy Spirit, if you feel convicted. <coughs> I'm just saying, figure out what is, how can I be the best follower of my leader. And then adapt. That's That's wisdom. That's humility. It will go better for you in the long run. The main reason is God likes humble people. He loves everybody. He likes humble people. He blesses humble people. James says there's a greater grace for humble people. I don't know about you. I'm a fan of grace. If there's a such thing as in the Greek, mega grace, I'd like to sign up for that. And the way you sign up is you get humble. Humble. And maybe the most practical, listen, see, oh, I am humble before God when it's me and Jesus in the closet. Good for you. Real humility is you live that way in front of other people, right? Okay. Third, lead your direct reports and or student disciples. So you've got students you're discipling, your key men or key women or whatever you want to call them. Right. Invest in them disciple them, mentor them. If you have staff people that you're leading, they are your primary disciples. Invest in them, lead them. I mean Matthew 4:19, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. First Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11:1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 8 to 10 tends to be about the max that you can do and do well whether that's staff and or students. But now what I'd say here is figure out the way that they most need to be led and try to adapt to lead them in the way that they they best receive truth and training. Now, some of you be thinking, wasn't that a contradiction? You just told the leader to adapt to the follower. Now you're telling the follower to adapt to the leader. Just imagine if both were doing that. If the leader was trying to say, no, 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 I want to humble myself and try to meet you where you're at and minister to you according to your capacity. And the followers was saying, no, 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 I, I want to meet you where you're at. Hey, now you're cooking with Crisco, right? Now things go good when you have that. I mean, that's how great marriage works. The husband's like, no, 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 I, I want to bend to you, <coughs> female. I don't fully understand you, but I'm trying, and I, and I love you, and I like you, and, I, and even when I don't understand you, I'm going to press into the mystery and try to meet you where you're at. And if the wife is like, I understand you all too well, this whole keeping it simple stupid thing, you're knocking that one out of the park, right? And I don't like all that I understand about you, but I'm going to try to humble myself. And That's when you have a great marriage. Hey, okay? this is not marriage training, but if it, if it applies, so be it, right? Love one another well. R- really, that's what this is, guys, just loving one another well. The fourth thing, evangelize. You will be my witnesses. Acts 1a, Great Commission, go make disciples. Matthew 28, 18. I mean, guys, and, and listen, even if you're like, no, no, I'm full time in the office, okay, great. I don't have any time to go to campus and share my faith. That's fine. Got people in Birmingham in the office like that. I do believe every Christian is supposed to be an evangelist. Right, that's just a pattern in the book of Acts. Andrew meets Jesus, goes to tell Peter. Crazy demoniac gets saved. Maybe he's been saved and wearing clothes for two hours. And Jesus is like, go home and tell everybody what God did for you. That's just a pattern. So you're like, no, no, I'm an introvert. I don't like people. I do spreadsheets. That's fine. Just have one person in your neighborhood or something you're talking to about Jesus. Because it's commanded. It keeps your heart soft. It will help you identify better with the other staff that are on the front lines that are sharing their faith all the time. And if you're a front line, campus director... Campus staff, guys, always keep your foot in the grassroots. I don't care. You're like, I already have 11 disciples. You said 10. I'm stretched too thin. I can't do it. And 11 disciples, and how could I do evangelism too? You better find a way, especially in college ministry, right? Because the cycle is four years, you're starting over. And most of us don't like, Understand me, so, the penetration phase, where it's like we're going to a brand new campus, a brand new fraternity house, a brand new dorm, a brand new football locker room, you don't know anybody, you gotta start from scratch. I mean, there can be something exhilarating, but there's a lot of downside to that, right? Find the best target group you can on campus. Y'all know the whole racquetball illustration, right? I think Brian invented it. If he didn't, he, he took it over and made it his own, okay? It's a great illustration. It's easier to you can be a terrible athlete who's never played a racket sport and you play racquetball and you just run hard. You can survive. Okay? If you are a terrible athlete and you never played racket sport before and you go play tennis, it's going to just be a wasted day, and the other person won't like you because you just be chasing balls outside the fence all day. And that's just true in ministry. I have done ministry in fraternities for almost twenty-five years now. I wasn't in a fraternity. Are you like elitist? Just like, no, I'm just making my life easy, man. It just works easy. I, I do a lot of this now. I'm traveling different places, but I'm still able to go to Sanford University and share the gospel on a somewhat a regular basis. You know why? Target group. Racquetball. Fraternity. I've been a part of this fraternity now more than anybody else on the campus because I've been there for like 19 years. So it did not matter if they got a seventh-year senior. I've almost got his time there tripled. I'm an establishment. They think they have to invite me to Bible study. They don't know they could cancel me anytime they want to. Get a target group, man. Make your life easy. Fifth priority. Raise and manage your finances. Luke chapter 16. Let's flip back there. Jesus talked about money a lot. Money is important. It's not the most important. But you have to have money to operate on planet Earth. I don't care how super spiritual you are. you got to have money. you got to have money to do this ministry. And ju- if your budget is not in the black, meaning you don't have a deficit, you've got money, you got excess, for most people, whether it's Denny or your board or the elders or whoever, your, or your parents, right? They're still checking in on you. When are you going to get a real job? And how much money are you making? All that kind of stuff. It's very hard for them to celebrate your ministry if your money's terrible. No, no, no! I led twenty people to Christ last month. Yeah, but you're ten thousand dollars in the hole. So praise the Lord. We'll celebrate that later, maybe in heaven. But I'm worried about you're about to wreck our whole region's finances. That's just we shouldn't be that way. It is that way. And you're not going to change it, the person with the $10,000 deficit. We should be more spiritually minded. Nobody wants to listen to you about money. Luke chapter 16, starting verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The point is this. You're like, but I want more spiritual influence and more staff reports and more leadership. and You've you got to at least be like neutral with your financial management. You don't have to be a genius, you don't have to be a full-time financial advisor and look at all the different 401Ks and tax sheltered annuities and that. I'm not saying that, but raise as much money as you're allowed to raise and you're able to raise. And then get paid as much as you're allowed to get paid and you're able to get paid. And then all the benefits they'll offer you, max them out, as much as you're allowed to, as much as you're able to. Why, because I want everybody to get rich in campus outreach? That's not gonna happen. Right, Not compared to the people we're doing life with. You're not going to get rich in campus outreach. But you can make a good, decent living in campus outreach. I just, I just, I just rolled my first one off the payroll. 22, graduated college. He's on his own. Praise the Lord. Free at last. Free at last. And, but you can do it. You can send them to private schools. You can send them to colleges. And you can do it and not be crazy in debt you can't do it and be lazy with your support. Take the responsibility, raise the money, manage the money. Okay? And guys, listen, I didn't like support when I first started. I don't love support now. But the, the more I've done it, the more I really deeply believe it is a blessing and surprise in so many ways. What it does for your faith, what it does for your prayer, what it does for your attitude about money and stewardship. And all the relationships... I mean, some of my best friends now are people that I wouldn't even know if I hadn't had to go have an awkward conversation with them about money. And now we're tight. The sixth primary responsibility. Serve the macro as needed. Okay, Serve the macro as needed. Now, this is one of the ways that we do evangelism. This is one of the ways that we do discipleship. And when I say the macro, I mean anything bigger than your personal ministry. It could be uh, uh, evangelistic Bible study on campus you're up with. That could be the... the Weekly meeting, that could be New Year's conference, beach project, overseas projects, OP, whatever. You can't do it all alone, but neither can Denny or your resource director. They need help. So when they ask you, be willing to serve. Now, be honest about, I don't think I can do that. I think this is the worst summer for me to lead an overseas. Be honest, but then if they're like, well, we really need you to do it, be willing to do it. And if it's such a big disagreement, like, it's going to ruin my marriage if I do it. And they're like, you have to do it. If, if you're that sure, then you just quit. And you're like, well, I'm not ready to quit. Well, then you're not that sure. <laughs> right? Go back to follow your authority as well. But be honest. Push back a <clears throat> But real servants are humble and willing to serve. They're team players. Now, if you do all six of those things, and you do them, not perfectly, but well and faithfully, consistently, you will be a good staff person. You will be. Now, those are all the primary things. You can stop there. These are the secondary things. Patrick Lencioni, great kind of leadership consultant, he says, if everything's important, then nothing is. You know, in one sense, you could say, well, but everything's important to God. He cares about, right, the, the birds and the sparrows, yes, but some things are more important than others, right? Jesus even said, one thing is necessary. Jesus said, here's the greatest commandment, here's the second. Jesus does priorities, we should too. So these are secondary priorities. These are important, but not necessary, you don't have to do these things and you can still be a good staff person and not get fired and not fail. Make sense? But they're important. So you're like, but I want to be a great staff person. Okay. Here's your secondary thing. Develop yourself. Even Jesus, Luke 2.52, right? Grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with man. And, I, and I'm mainly here I'm talking about wisdom development. Becoming a better teacher or a better leader or taking some seminary classes. But I would just say you don't have to be John Piper Jr. You don't have to be John Maxwell Jr. You don't have to be R.C. Sproul, Jr. But as you have the time, as you have the capacity, you should be developing your gifts and sharpening your sword where God's gifted you. Second, secondary priority is being an apologetics expert. You don't have to be Tim Keller, Jr. But the more you know about apologetics will make you more effective in evangelism. So as you have time, as you have capacity, as you have passion, read and study and listen to be better with apologetics. Ethnic diversity expert. You don't have to be Brian Loritz, Jr. It's really important, but everybody can't do it. But as you have time, as you have gifts, as you have capacity, as you have passion, yeah, spend time reading, studying, developing that area, right? It's confusing, it's hard, but it's worthy gold. But everybody can't be an expert. Fourth, world vision expert. You don't have to be David Platt, Jr. But this is uber important. It's close to God's heart. Some of you may press back, we want everybody to be a world Christian. I do too. Prayed for some unreached people groups and persecuted church in Africa and some of that this morning. But if you're like, I, didn't, I, didn't, I ain't shared my faith on campus in a while. It's like, let's put off the career missionary talk and let's just share the gospel with one sorority girl this week. How about that? Um, we launched a guy one time to start a new region, and you know, good city, good church, good campus, good team. But every time I'm talking to him, he's like, "Man, I, I just I'm like, what are you even spending time on this week?" He's like, "I'm, I'm trying to make some uh, connections with churches for like mobilization, and i uh, looking to hire a women's shepherd, and looking to hire a mobilization expert." And I was like, "Do you have any women on your staff right now?" No. Maybe you should hire one female before you get a women's shepherd. Uh, Have you led any freshmen to Christ yet? No. Well, maybe you should not think so much about a mobilization expert for seniors. Maybe you should lead. Just this is about guys, don't get the cart before the horse. Fifth, secondary priority. You don't have to be an alumni mobilization expert. You don't have to be Steve Shadrack or Todd Aarons Jr. This is really important, especially if you're discipling seniors, help them. And if you're like, I don't have capacity to help them, find somebody else that can help them. Right? Just network them. And you say, but you know, the longer you're in ministry, you have more alumni out there. And you're like, but I love them. How do I minister to them? Here's just my rule of thumb. Is I try to respond when they initiate to me. Does that mean I never initiate to an alumni? No, because sometimes I'm like, I miss so-and-so. I like that dude. I, I wonder what he's doing. Just call him. That's fine. But don't feel the burden like you have to call all 100 of your disciples that are out around the world now. That's not realistic. You're a college minister. But I would say if they're initiating you, hey, man, can I talk to you? Find time to talk to them. I think that's realistic. And then the sixth one, and I might get some pushback here, secondary priority is serve the local church. I'm a fan of the local church. You should be a member of the local church. You should be a faithful member of the local church. But if you're maxed out in your capacity as a campus outreach staff person and you feel like the water line is right here under your nose and you're about to drown, you don't need to be leading the evangelism seminar at the church. When I was campus staff, campus director, area director living in Florence, Alabama at the University of North Alabama, there were times where the church would ask me, Can you do this? And I really wanted to. Because I mean, realistically, it's like I probably am the best person to do some evangelism stuff. Not because I'm an expert in evangelism, just because I'm the paid evangelist in a little tiny church. But it was like, I, I no, I don't. I'm, we're pioneering a campus. I, any extra time I need needs to go back onto the campus. I'm going to be at church. I'm going to be a faithful church member. I'm not going to help serve right now. Now I do a ton of serving at Pryorwood because I'm in a different role and season and capacity. It makes sense. Okay? As you can serve the local church, but if it's taking you away from your priorities, just be a faithful member of the local church. Now do enough staff trainings. At some point, I'll. It's almost always like one person will pull me aside and we're in this small church and man, they don't value my gifts and they're not inviting me to in enough meetings and they don't give me enough opportunities. And What I honestly want to say is be happy they don't value your gifts. <laughs> Spend more time on the campus. That's what you're getting paid to do. If, you, if you're a campus outreach staff person that has all this time for ministry on the campus and you're complaining about you don't get more opportunities in the church, either maybe you're in the wrong job and you need to leave Maybe God's calling you to work in the church, and and that could be a good thing. Or you got some hard idols. Right? Because it would be a little bit more prominent if I could teach Sunday school in front of all the old people and they could see how smart I am. That's not what you're getting paid to do. If they ask you to do it, do it. Great. But don't whine that they're not asking you to do it. You're like, but I want to teach more. Go teach on the campus. (laughs) We don't have weekly meetings right now because of. Teach another evangelic Bible study. Go back to the campus. When in doubt, guys, spend a lot of time with Jesus and spend a lot of time with people. And for campus ministers, by people I mean fellow campus ministers and students. And if you just do that, good things will happen. Let me run through some very, very fast heart perspectives. Okay, and then I will land the plane here. Dawson Trotman said, Methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change, principles never do. So here's some principles to put these perspectives and priorities into practice. Okay. Psalm 103, just, just jot these down and just listen. I'm going to read it quick, quickly comment. Don't necessarily try to follow me if you want to go back. And they're all kind of famous passages. Psalm 103, starting verse 12, As far as the East is from the West, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust as a man. As for man, his days are like glass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Guys, God knows our sins. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our frame. You're working for your daddy. I talked to a friend of mine yesterday. His son just graduated too. His son is working for him, right? Pros and cons of that set up. But he's like, yeah, at first, like he wasn't waking up on time. He wasn't coming to work. And so the dad just fired him. Of course not. The dad worked with him. He's coaxing him. He's, he's, we, we get to work for our daddy. Yes, it's a job. Yes, there are duties. Yes, there's... But he's our dad. He knows how weak we are. He knows how... So think of it like you're working for your daddy. You're working for the best daddy in the universe. So, in some sense, the pressure's off. Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. God will show you the next step that you need to know to be faithful. We said, hey, I'd like to know steps two through infinity and beyond. And God says, you want to know step two? Take step one. That's faith. Be okay with that. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 through 9. Love this passage. The only prayer in the book of Proverbs. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is about money. The guy's wise to say, Don't make me too rich. I might forget you. Don't make me too poor. I might start stealing. Just give me my portion. Give me what's needful for me. But notice, he doesn't define it. He doesn't say, God... 120 is my portion. Give me that. It's a step of faith. God, I don't know what my portion is, but you do. And Randy Pope says, I think rightly so, you can apply this to any area of your life. You can apply it to ministry. Don't make me the best minister in the world, God, I'd probably become arrogant. Don't make me the worst minister in the world, I'd probably become despairing. Just give me my portion, my faithfulness, my gifts, my capacity, my fruitfulness. Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. Just the very end, you know, 21 through 23, where the guy with five and the guy with two come back and they both doubled, five to ten, two to four. And in verse 21, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. In the English, in the Greek, what the master slash Jesus said to the guy with five that made ten total and the guy with two that made four totals, he said the exact same thing. Enter into the joy of your master. Out of the comparison game, guys. If this guy's a better evangelist than me, don't be mad that he led more people to Christ. Were you faithful? Are you being faithful? If the goal is, I want the joy of Jesus. I want to please Jesus so much that it's like it spills over. It overflows out of his heart into mine. That's what we want. Just be faithful. It's not a comparison contest. Learn from others. right? There's healthy ways to compare and contrast where you're learning. But when it's the the comparison game where I'm trying to win, deadly. Because when you think you're winning, you're going to be arrogant and nobody's going to like you. Including God. Still love you, right? But and he'll humble you. God humbles people that don't humble themselves. And when you're doing terrible, you're going to feel like a loser. You're going to be despairing. And you'll probably just quit. Be faithful. Stay in your lane. Almost done. Galatians chapter 6, 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That's a promise, guys. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will weep if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Guys, if you will just persevere in the basics, again, not sinlessly perfect, but you're genuine, you're sincere... Reaping to the Spirit, to the Word, to prayer, to loving people, to serving people. There'll be fruit. Maybe not as much as you want, almost certainly not as fast as you want, right? There will be fruit. Ephesians through 10, we all know this one. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared in advance for us. I heard Kent Bailey say in 1999 in Brazil if God's prepared the good works for you, He knows your capacity. He knows you only got 24 hours in a day. He's never going to give you more than you could do in 24 hours a day. So I've kind of taken that and made it practical for me. It's like if I ever feel like there's more that I should be doing in 24 hours than I can actually do, I'm living off the wrong list. I must have added something to God's list. Is it stuff that I put on there. Maybe my wife put it on there. Maybe my boss put it on there. Maybe the phantom staff guy put it on there, right? Trying to be phantom. Just do what God's called you to do. James 1.5, if any man lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. If you say, God, I'm trying to be the best minister of these priorities. is confusing. Please give me wisdom. And you really believe. I don't have wisdom, but I really trust you'll give it to me. He'll give it to you. You probably won't have a vision or hear an audible voice, but he will guide the natural thinking processes of your mind. In the last passage, I do want you to flip to this one, First Peter chapter 5. And, and let me just say, you know, I, I said there, God likes humble people, God doesn't like proud people. I pretty much stand by that. Okay, now, now, maybe I'm speaking a little too strong there, but I'm really trying to be serious and, and biblically and theologically accurate. I love all my children. No matter what my children do, I'll never abandon any of them. They become an axe murderer. I'll visit them in prison. But if they're an axe murderer, I'm going to say, I love them. I don't know if I enjoy them right now. And they're axe murdering. Right? And guys, we don't understand how much God hates pride. We're like, pride's like a little sweet domesticated sin. Axe murdering, that's really bad. think god really hates pride first peter chapter 5 verse 6 humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of god so at the proper time he may exalt you i mean just if you're one of his children he wants to exalt you he will exalt you he plans to exalt you when i don't know it might be tomorrow It might not be for 120 years from now after you're already dead and He'll exalt you in heaven. You okay with that? Whole life suffering. But then you get eternity in heaven and bliss and you get exalted there. Christians got a great retirement plan. Okay, practically, practically, what does it mean to humble myself? Look at verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Maybe... One of the most practical things you can do to humble yourself before God, I already said, is humble yourself before other people. But another thing you can do practically to humble yourself before God is all the burdens you feel, all the pressures, and all the... You just you keep casting them, committing them, rolling them off of your back, rolling them on the hill. Now, the key to that working, though, is that last little phrase, because He cares for you. Do you really believe it? In the basement of your heart... Not in the top of your head, right? We all got it there. We've all given a talk on it. But the difference in our head knowledge and our heart experience is often way too big of a gap. Do you feel and know God does care for me, even in my sin, even in my rebellion? He cares for me. Compassion. The Father He's chasing me. And the main way He demonstrated it was in Christ coming down, humbling Himself in front of us to save us so that He could be exalted but we also get exalted with Him. And as we kind of follow Him in that pattern of being willing to humble ourselves, love people, serve people, in the proper and right time, we'll get exalted, not because we deserve it, but because He bought it for us. And it's worth the wait. Let me pray. Lord, please make us into these type of ministers. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.